Welcome to Fusion City Church. My name is Cameron, like Quentin said. Uh, we're so glad you've joined us for week three of our series called Everybody Always. Uh, growing up, I have a little brother, all right, and, and one of my favorite things to do and, and our favorite things to do growing up was playing sports. Uh, anytime you would come over to our house, we would be playing some type of sport. We'd play basketball outside. We'd play football outside. We'd play baseball outside. And it was kind of a staple that anybody that came to the park house, you played sports with the parks. And then my brother and I, being the clever slash deviants that we were, we were like, how can we do this but not outside? So we were like, hey, let's play all the sports that we play inside. And those of you that are fathers are cringing because you know what that means. You know that something's about to get broke. My dad said it all the time. You better be careful when you play in a house. You're going to break something. You're going to break it. He loved us to death, but he was afraid anything was going to break. We played basketball with the Nerf goals. Anybody have the Nerf goals growing up? The Nerf? Yeah, we'd dunk on them, and we would create black marks on the door from just dunking on it like Shaquille O'Neal at the time in the 90s. So we'd, we'd just dunk on it and make marks on the door. Dad didn't like that. And we'd play baseball in the house, the little plush balls like we got from the Intimidators. We even found a way to do that in the house. We'd just use our hands. And those weren't as bad as damage on the house because it would only just knock down a lamp and it'd break a bulb. Be like, oh, it's all right. You know, we can get a new bulb, right? But then we took it up a notch. You're like, football, let's go. <laughs> All right, so we, knee football was a thing. You get rug burns. If you ever played knee football in the house, that was the thing to do. We'd tackle. We're like, all right, this ain't good enough. Like, we got to take it up a notch. All right, and so then we looked at the couch, and the couch is soft. So we saw all these great NFL players do this, these things on TV where they would, like, reach out for the end zone and die for it. You ever seen that before? Or even better, they would lay out for a catch. So we were like, hey, let's do that too. Because we're just doing our dad a favor to go ahead and practice being professional athletes. Like one day he'll be like, yeah, you know what? They, they dove on my couch. Yeah. So we were like, we'll go ahead and do that. So my dad, being the loving dad and the dad that he is, decided to say, don't jump on the couch. You're going to break it. He didn't say it as nice as I just did, but that's what he said. So all we heard was, be sure to jump on the couch so we, we're not going to break it. We ne- not in our million years did we ever think we were going to break it. So we proceeded to do the layout for the end zone, the diving catches. And then, I can't remember if it was me or my brother. We were both portly uh, in our childhood. He is, he's less portly than I am now, but husky is what they called it as a kid. That's the pants. It's husky. That just means you're fat. That's, it, did, it didn't trick me. It didn't trick me. I, I was husky. But we dove and pop. So, you know, what a normal couch chair is supposed to do is stand up and support your arm. Well, now our lovely couch did this. So it's if normal couch arm, our couch arm now. So I don't know if you guys did this growing up, but this was the thing to do. If something bad happened, dad was in the house. He was in the back. If something bad happened and we were playing inside with the sports, we would throw the ball as far away from the room we were in 
and sit as far away from whatever happened there. So the ball, we dove, the ball goes into the kitchen, the couch is over here, we're like, and dad comes in the room, what was that? I don't know, the couch, it just broke. We were just sitting here, and would you believe that it just broke? But, but in the moment of what in the world, my dad, that's my dad's phrase, what in the world? In the moment of what in the world, my brother and I, as we threw it and ducked away, we can't help but think, who's to blame? I'm sitting there going, who's to blame? All right, I'm the older brother, so I'm more wise. I'm smarter than he is. Uh, I should do the mature adult thing to do, so I'm going to do the right thing. And that right thing was to blame it on him. <laughs> we walked in, who, who in the world was that? Who? Your son. It was your second son. Maybe it's mom's son. I don't know. It was him. He did it. Dad wasn't concerned with who was to blame. He was concerned that his couch was broke. And maybe you have a similar story where all you could think about in a moment of something going wrong, it was who's to blame, especially as kids. Like, I teach high school math. <laughs> There's excuses and blaming all the time. Like, something bad happens in the room, and you can see it in their eyes. They're going, who's, who, who am I blaming for this? Who's to blame? And we, we have that mindset as kids, and it doesn't change as adults. We have more serious life situations that happen and we still are looking for who's to blame. We still look for who is to blame. I know in my life, most recently, my wife and I uh, were trying to have a baby, trying to get pregnant. And we, were, we weren't being successful. It didn't take us long, as everybody, uh, as a lot of people have said, but it, it took us a long time. We would sit down with doctors that were specialty doctors and they would tell us that there's a problem. And it's like human instinct. When there's a problem, who's to blame for that problem? I never blamed her. She never blamed me. But we were sitting there hearing from the doctors that there's a problem. And we couldn't help but think, who's to blame? We couldn't move past that in those moments to who is to blame. Maybe you've been in those moments in your life that something bad has happened. And all you can think about is who's to blame. Jesus comes in contact with a similar question in, a gospel, in the Gospel of John. An account that we see in God, uh, John 9. If you'll turn there with me or follow along on new version. John chapter 9. We, Jesus is in contact with this same question. Let's start in verse 1. As he passed by, as he, Jesus, passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, a.k.a. who is to blame? This man or his parents that he was born blind? So right now I want you to close your eyes. If you don't close your eyes, I'm going to call you out. All right, close your eyes. I'm just <laughs> I'm not going to call you out. Imagine that is how you see life from birth. You can hear the things that they are saying about you as you sit in the public square. 
Whose fault is it for his blindness? This man's blind because of his own sin. This man's blind because of his parents' sin. And you hear that about yourself for your entire life. All right, you can open them because I don't want you to fall asleep. All right, it's good stuff. So that's what this man was going through. Blind from birth. That's all he knew was darkness his entire life. And you've got to wonder, if we see things, a lot of us are not blind. We go through life seeing things and we already get in our mind about thinking about every reason why something happens. And this man was blind and he couldn't see anything. You can only wonder what he speculated in his mind about why he was the way he was. And even in this culture, in this time period, being born blind was like the worst of the worst. All right, there's a lot of worst of the worst, but being born blind was you sinned and your parents sinned or one of the two. That's why the disciples had this question that no one had asked Jesus' this question before. And to be fair, the disciples were only carrying on with the traditions of what they had heard. If you ever read the book of Job, Job had everything taken away from him. You name it, he lost it. Cattle, possessions, he got sick, he got boils, and natural human nature, his friends and everyone around him said, what did you do? Who's to blame for this? What sin did you commit to do this? The disciples were following that same train of thought when they asked this question, they wanted a, a, a correction of their belief if it was wrong in this moment. I, I, I can't help but think that there was a blind man where they were walking and all they could think about was, I got to ask Jesus, who is to blame? They had been walking with Jesus for a long time at this point and they saw the things that Jesus could do. And all they could muster up when they passed by a blind man, who's to blame? Don't we do that too? There's people that are in need left and right around us. And all we can think, they got themselves into that mess. That's not love. We've been talking about love and everybody always. That's not love. If all you do is see somebody that is in need and think, who's to blame for that? It's their own fault. You're missing an opportunity for love. These disciples, they missed it. And before you write them off, I've read this passage so much. Before you write them off, I know exactly that probably was going to be my response too. If there was a moment of correcting something I believed and I was walking with Jesus and then I saw this man who was publicly known as the man who was blind from birth, I'm not going to lie, I probably would have asked too. But that's not very loving. That's not showing people Christ love. And Jesus just doesn't leave us hanging here. Let's look back starting at verse 3 of what Jesus does and how he responds to this question of who is to blame. 
for this man's sin. Verse 3, Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. So, Jesus, who's to blame? Uh-uh. Uh, he, Jesus has zero interest in playing the blame game. Mm-mm. He wants to show God off through this man's darkness. Whoo! May we gravitate toward that idea. Jesus uh, then said in verse 4, We must work the works of him who sent me. While it is day, night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. This man had been in darkness. And Jesus said this, is, this blindness was going to be to display God. And he didn't just say it. He didn't just end it there like, yeah, this is what's going to happen. He did it. Having said these things, he spit on the ground. And I'm not going to lie, spitting... I'm like a germaphobe that kind of makes me like, oh, God. He spilled on the ground and made mud with saliva. He anointed the man's eyes with mud. And he said to him, go, wash in the pool of Shalom, which meant scent. And he went and washed and came back seeing. Jesus was not interested in who's to blame. He was interested in what God was calling him to do through him. Verse 8, the neighbors and those who had, been, uh, who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, Nah. Not, he didn't say, Nah. That's my translation. That's my bad. No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I'm the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. Jesus has no interest in this question from the disciples of who's to blame. We've seen it before, that Jesus is correcting something that was a, a tradition or a belief that we need to think differently of. Here's what, if you're, if you're taking notes today, here's what Jesus wants you to see. Who is to blame is not nearly as important as what is God doing. I'll say it again. Who is to blame is not nearly as important as what is God doing. This man was in his darkness for his entire life. And I'm sure he thought he was just going to be that way forever. And his disciples saw the blindness, took it as an opportunity to correct theology. Jesus was like, no, 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 no. You're missing an opportunity for love. You're missing what God is doing. You're missing that your darkness is intended to show the glorious light of God. Jesus wanted his disciples to see the blame is not the most important part of this man's story. The most important part of this man's story is that Jesus took his blindness 
and give it light. Jesus was concerned about God's glory being on display more than the question of theology. We often get in this mindset, of, like I said, we, we blame others for their sin. But often we look at our own lives and we can't see past the darkness in our life. We can't see what's going on in our life. There's so much darkness going on that we can't see past it. And we get in the mindset of, well, and we hear it from other Christians. Your sin has caused that. You're to blame for it. And maybe some of that's true. Maybe you are to blame for it. Maybe there's an element of truth that you need to examine who is to blame before there's any kind of reconciliation and forgiveness. But you can't just live in the darkness and who's to blame game. Charles Spurgeon. This is a guy, he's got a great beard. He's a theologian. He, he kind of looks like my brother-in-law, too. If you look him up, he looks like my brother-in-law. He said this about this man's story. Whenever you see a man in sorrow and in trouble, the way to look at it is not to blame him and inquire him how he came there, but to say, here's an opening for God's almighty love. Here's an occasion for the display of grace and goodness in the Lord. If we want to grow in love, if we want to be about love, loving everybody always, we've got to stop asking the question, who's to blame so much, and start asking, what is God doing? Towards other people and in our own lives, because we're bad at it ourselves. We can't see past the darkness in our life. You're going through a job loss. You're going through marriage problems. You're going through Pregnancy issues, you're going through all the issues that we all face. And you can't see past who's to blame. Jesus wants to take that question and say, no, no, no. Who's to blame is not nearly as important as what is God doing. What is God? What can God do through your life? There's darkness in your situations. There's darkness all around us. What can you do to show God off in those situations? How can you encourage people around you to show Christ's love? And I hope, my hope and my prayer is that we might start seeing our sorrows and our troubles in light of what God is doing and not about the darkness. You see, this blind man from birth, when he received his sight, it was a physical sight, but so many of us are blinded by our own darkness around us. We can't see what God might do through us. We don't see the potential in our struggles and our suffering to what God might be doing through us, through those situations. Because here's the thing. This man, he was very well known in the public. He was in the public square. He was sitting and begging. So the people saw and knew 
his troubles. And they just passed them by. Maybe they gave him something to eat. But they kept passing him by. And then Jesus opened his eyes. And what did his neighbor say? Is this really him? Is, is this, this is the guy? This can't be the guy. And he kept insisting, no, it's me. It's me. This man's story was changed by Jesus to show the people around him what glorious things Jesus was doing at this time. You must move from the placing the blame to giving God glory. Our darkness is not intended for our destruction. Our darkness is meant to show God's glorious light. He even said it himself. He's the light of the world. God wants to bring light to your darkness. When you turn to Jesus in your darkness, he'll give you the light. He will draw near to you. How great of an example is if everybody knows the trouble you're going through, but all you can do is display God's glory through it. That your darkness is not for your destruction. It's not for your end. It's not because you sinned. It might be. But you see past it and go, what can God do through me? Or what could God do through someone else? What do they need encouragement with? My story didn't just end with us not getting pregnant and us placing brain. We have, if you've seen our baby, it's baby Ruthie. She's the most beautiful girl I've ever seen in my life. She is precious. And it, she's so much, even when, like, she's angry, it's so joyful. Like, I'm just like, oh, I love you. It doesn't matter. Like, it's just great. But a couple weeks after we had had her, I act like I did anything. I didn't do anything. I was just there. Uh, after my wife birthed her and I was present, <laughs> our connect group got to organize some meals. And I was uh, holding Ruth the other time. And they, the, the meal that was this night was a piece of delivery from Domino's. I was like, Pizza. After no sleep, no sleep, no sleep, no sleep, no sleep. I'm like, yeah, give me some pizza. Like that, that'll cure a lot. <laughs> just being honest, the pizza is great. Pizza is great. Amen. Let's go. I'm just kidding. Let's go get some pizza. But we get this delivered. And we didn't pay for it. The person that through the mill, through our connect group, paid for it. And they, the delivery lady, she comes up to the door and calls the name of the, the lady that was on the receipt. And Stacy Stacy answered the door. She's like, no, no, that's not me. Someone from our church, our connect group, organized this, and they got us pizza. And what happened next has still, to this day, blown me away. And we said, we just had a baby. And this lady goes, oh, wow, that's awesome. My husband and I have been trying to have a baby. We've been going through so much. We've tried this. I don't think at first they had tried a lot, but they've tried something. And she said, I'm doing this delivery stuff to get some more funds because our funds are running out. And Stacy was able to tell our story to her a little bit. 
that, hey, you know, we had tried this, we had tried this, and we have our beautiful baby girl, it's worth it. And the driver, the driver, she left encouraged and kind of drove away because you got to go to the next pizza. Fast forward a couple months later, I still want pizza. I get it delivered because the Domino's is the only one that delivers. So shout out to Domino's. I don't, like, we get a debate of like, hey, who's better? That's fine. Domino's delivers to my house. I don't have to leave my house. That's great. The same lady shows up again. I'm holding Ruthie. Stacy answers the door. And this woman had gotten so discouraged through the whole process. They've gone through more of the process of trying to get pregnant. They had tried different medicines. They tried this. They tried this. And they were coming to the edge. And my wife, she's the best, was able to still share more of our story and encourage her in the Lord. Like, look, this is what God did through our trying. I want to encourage you today. I want to pray for you. And I still think about that lady. I don't know whatever happened. I don't know if they had a baby. I haven't seen her name show up on our, that's the Domino's, it shows the name of the delivery driver. I don't, I don't know what happened. I haven't seen her. But I can't help but wonder, what if we never moved past, who was to blame? What if we never moved past our darkness? We would have never been able to show God's glory through our story to this lady. What in your life are you continually saying who's to blame and you're missing an opportunity to show God's glory through your story and your suffering? Because just like Jesus did to this blind man in his darkness, he can do it for you. Because your story is not alone your story. It's for you to go out and share and encourage someone in the Lord of what God's doing in your life. But if all you can see is who is to blame, you're more blind than the blind man born from birth. We've got to move past who's to blame and move to what is God doing through my suffering. We've got to stop blaming each other when something bad happens and pushing people down and saying, yeah, that's your sin, live in it. We've got to lift people up in love. We've got to show them the encouragement of the Lord and show them what God is doing through their story. And I can't help but wonder, in a room this size, that one person, at least, is going through some darkness. And you walked in, and you can't help but think, who's to blame for this? And you might even be blaming God. God wants to take the blame game and showcase his glory through your story. God is more concerned with what his glory can do. So my challenge to you is this. Identify the area in your life that you can't see past. Identify it. Write it down. On your 
handout, on your book, the situation in your life, you, it is darkness and you can't see past it. You can't see the good in it. And start asking God, God, I want to move past this who's to blame nonsense and start looking for what are you doing? What can you do through my situation? And if you're in a connect group, there's no better opportunity for you to share that dark thing you wrote down with your connect group because they can help you see what God can do through your story. I want to pray for us right now. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for how much you love us, how much you've done for us. And Father, I pray right now that these dark situations in our life, whatever they may be, that we'll learn to see past, that we will abide in you, that we will run to you as the light of the world in our darkness, that whatever the darkness is in our current circumstances, that we will see what you are doing through your love. And Father, forgive us for where we have looked at people in darkness and have blamed them and not given the opportunity for your love and your glory to be displayed through us. And Father, thank you for this man's story of, of darkness to light that we can see that you are more concerned about what is God doing than who's to blame. I thank you for each one that's here today, God. I pray that as we go from here that we will display your love in every way possible. That we are seeking to love people as you have loved us. For in Jesus' name I pray, amen.